Hi, I'm Josh. I'm Ken. And I'm TJ. And this is Serious Film People, uh, our series on the movies nominated for Best Picture in 2007. 2007 movies, 2008 ceremony. And this is a recap episode. We've done all five Best Picture nominees. We made it again. We, we did it. We did it a second time. We got through a second one. I can't believe it. Who would have thought? And we haven't been canceled yet. We haven't been canceled yet. Well, what's funny is that we're recording all these before we drop a single episode. So for all we know, we've already been canceled. That's and no good, one will ever hear this. It's a good way to like make sure you don't get canceled, though, is just be like, but we already made the shows. That did Head not help sand. Batgirl, by the way. That's true. That's, That's true. true. Yeah. Well, by, by the time this comes out, that might be a really dated reference. By the time this comes out, we they may have already announced the Batgirl's actually coming out. Well, yeah. if it is, I'm good for good for the people associated with the film. Good for the people associated with the film, and good for Warner Brothers for pulling their head out of their ass. Anyway, 2007. Just to, you, just to give you an idea of what's going on right now, Anne Heche died a couple days ago, and Salman Rushdie was stabbed two days ago. He was. So like, that's yes. where we are. <laughs> Timing this, yes. Yeah. Yes. And Mar-a-Lago was raided by the FBI. That was last week. Yep. yep. We're still, we're still in the shadow the curtain. of the, the raid. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm going to pull back the curtain even further, away from last week, to 2007. <laughs> and uh we're in the, the midst of the in. iraq war <laughs> <No>. <laughs> michael moore is a very important figure in american culture yes. in 2007 there's a countdown till bush's last day in office well for some people yeah for a lot of people i guess uh 2007 ken what were the nominated movies that we've talked about the last five weeks lay oh, them out for me so we we've discussed atonement we've, atonement. we've discussed juno juno michael clayton can I get a hell yeah in the chat? Hell yeah! Or, or not. Okay, thank you. I, I was waiting okay. for the chat. I didn't hear it from the chat. And of course, we finished up our last two episodes with No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. Ever heard of them? Huh? Yeah, they're good movies. Actually, all the, those are five good movies, I think. Um, yeah. but the last three are certified bangers, as the kids like to say. As I like yeah. to say. Not really. Yeah, kids, if, really. if it didn't come through, yeah. we were quite excited in particular for the last two. And I think we had, I think it showed through on the third episode. Michael Clayton uh, has a soft spot for all of us as far as how we appreciate the film. I, I think I showed more enthusiasm for Michael Clayton, but don't let that fool you. I'm more enthusiastic about the last two than I am about Michael Clayton. Not to spoil our ranking coming later in this episode, but the last two movies are really, 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 really important movies to me. Not just like... In my movie life, just my in my life in general, they are uh, great. They're stuff. great films. There's no question. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a, a nice natural segue into just asking, how does the year stack up as far as BP nominees go? So, how does the batch of five nominees from the from 2007, 2007 movies, 2008 ceremony, how does that stack up against the batch of five or ten, or yeah, in betwixt? Yes, yeah, against uh, uh, other years is what any you're given year. Uh huh. Um. I mean, did, did I choose 2007? Was this my pick? I believe so. You suggested it. So, yeah, initially. I mean, there's a reason for that. And, like, it's... I'm, I'm acknowledging my bias, as I've said, probably on every episode in this series, that I was taking a film class, my first film class at the time, so I was, like, discovering movies at this time. And so the 2007 movies will always be very special to me. And um, so this is, like... I, I would put this against any, any year. Mm. I mean... Our first series was 1975, which is the consensus, you know, most serious film people consider that to be the best batch of Best Picture nominees. And I would put these five against those five, I, which might be a little sacrilegious, but it's it's how I feel. 
I'm going to disagree with you as to all five. I will, I will grant you, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it a little later. I will grant you that this is a great year for cinema. There are a lot of great movies, a lot of excellent movies that came out this year. Um, like as, Evan Almighty. Well, <laughs> well like of Transformers. Course. The fact that, the fact that neither one of those, neither like Evan Almighty. PS, I love you. They were not. They weren't nominated. They're not here, um, which I think <laughs> I think speaks to, to my opinion about the the category and the picks, the movies they did nominate. But that aside, uh, let, I mean, we can start talking. We can jump in. We started with Atonement and Juno. Um, I think we discussed it when we discussed each of those films. I can think of I can think of at least a dozen movies that I'd have I'd have wanted here ahead of them. I don't think they I mean, really I hold agree. up as well. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. I, what you're saying is there are other movies from 2007 that you would prefer to be nominated for Best Picture yes. over Atonement or Juno. And, and I agree with that. That that take is informing me on my, my hesitancy here, despite the fact that you've got Michael Clayton and you've got two of the all-time great Best Picture nominees in No Country and There Will Be Blood. Let's not yes. ignore that fact. They're two yes. of the all-time greats here. Um, they're really doing a lot of the heavy lifting, though. Uh, Michael Clayton and is I, also I'm, I'm, fits fine here, uh, and I, I think I'm waiting it as such. Yeah, like because because it, it has you know three of the five are just undeniable, and two of the five are I think pretty good, pretty darn good. You know, depending on how I feel that day. Uh, I was I was soft on Atonement the day we recorded the Atonement podcast, but like I don't know, it's pretty good. It's still pretty good. Um, I think you know the the worst movie of these five is. It's certainly better than the worst movie in most years in the Best of Best Picture nominees, I would say. Um, and then the best movies in these five are better than most movies I've seen ever. So that's why I think this this batch of five is, I would put it up against most years. But again, that's my own personal biases based on how old I was when I saw them, etc. TJ, what do you think? I think there's a vast gulf between my number four and my number three when we get to that. I mean, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. And so if we were taking the top two or the top three in my estimation, I would say, yeah, it doesn't, there there are a few years that get as good as this one, but you got to balance the whole thing. That's, that's 40 to 60% of what we're talking about. So it's a little bit like having Goldschmidt and Arenado in your lineup, but then also having Paul DeYoung in your lineup, you know, parts of it are good. Parts of it, you expect to strike out every time, you know, I'm hoping Paul DeYoung is not a serious film person and. It's like, oh, I finally found a podcast that speaks to me. Yeah, what if like he becomes like our biggest listener? I, yeah. If I recall correctly, Paul is is, is uh, quite well educated. I I don't know if film is his thing or reading, but uh, he's a big Atonement fan. He read well, Atonement. If he's well educated, he'll skip right over us. But uh, <laughs> he also read. He's also a big Cormac McCarthy fan, so yeah. he's like really tuning into the No Country episode. Probably. Luckily, he's not catching any strays in that one. He's only catching strays in the recap. So true. Um. What I guess I would say is that I think in any given year of Best Picture nominees, and we, you know, the more series we do, the more we'll find this to be the case, I think, is that there's always a nominee or two where I can kind of take it or leave it in any any batch of Best Picture nominees. And, like, that's certainly the case here, but, like, I don't know. I still think the ones that I could take or leave are still pretty good. You know? I don't know. My tepid oh. defense. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I disagree, but I, I hear your point. Ken, you look like you have something to say. I was Hold just going to. I was just going to add. I will give Josh this. If I were to do like a rank all of the nominees over the course of the entire ninety-four years thus far of Academy Best Picture nominees, 
uh, I do I do grant you that two of these there'd be an argument for two of these appearing in my top ten, possibly. Um, there'd be an argument for the or certainly top twenty. So it's like when you consider all of the nominees, it is impressive that there are two films that good in the same year. I get what you're saying there. I agree with that, and I you know I obviously have not seen every movie ever ever nominated for best picture. Far from it, probably way less than half even but you know um i think if i were to rank every movie i've ever seen not only for best picture then the bottom two in this year would be in the top half probably actually i don't know that might not be true i don't know i have to think about it that'd be an interesting exercise actually to think of every movie you've ever seen not only for best picture and, and rank them and i'd, I'd be curious where if, if only there was a way movie. that we could try to watch all of the movies not only for best picture <laughs> I was just about to say. yeah we should we should we should start a podcast where we so watch all the i'm looking cuz i have a picture. i have a letterboxed list of all the movies nominated for best picture i have seen 261 out of 577 coming for a 45% so you have seen close to half, and I, I bet I've seen half of what you've seen. So maybe I've only seen like a quarter. Well, you got some work to do, Josh. I do have some work uh-huh. to do. Yeah. So can I move to the next question here about trends, yes. patterns, themes? So in yes, 1975, when we talked a lot about rebellion and mistrust of authority and systems, and, we, and systems, yes, and we talked yeah. a lot about Watergate. I think we were less um, direct or on the surface with our cultural historical things throughout this year so did you guys notice any sort of trends patterns or themes or maybe what makes this year strong is that it's well-rounded i think it's i think it's actually a little bit of both it's not as directly uh it's not as directly responsive to events going on but there is a theme in the sense that these are all kind of not all juno is the is the lighter one um as we repeatedly mentioned including on the juno episode john stewart even made a crack during the oscars about the fact that thank know, god for taking pregnancy exactly. was his joke yes um they're all dark and you you mentioned it earlier this is the the waning days of the the bush administration right i mean we've got iraq we've got afghanistan um we don't realize it yet but we are surging ever closer towards the great recession um, this is the last oscars of the bush presidency right uh, I believe the next one's... No, there's one... Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, you are right. Yes, the is the last one. after Correct. Obama's inaugurated. Because yeah. uh, the election is... The, the primaries are in full swing mm-hmm. at this point. And yep. so there is a response. People are... People are... They, they're wanting to have a hopeful outlook, but they don't necessarily have a hopeful outlook. And I think that somewhat is shown in these movies, particularly Michael Clayton, No Country, and There Will Be Blood. They're not exactly optimistic movies, even when the characters might be trying for some optimism at times, which we've discussed. But they're not, on the surface, feel-good movies. Everything's great. They're they're movies that people are embracing, and they're moody. They're dark. They're, if not realistic, they are at least pessimistic, in large part. So... I think that it is responsive to the times, just not as directly as the ones in the 70s were. They're not commenting on Bush specifically or the wars. Okay. Yeah, I think that I, w- I was thinking about this in the context of the discussion we had about the 75 movies. And while the 75 movies, I think, were more critical of systems, institutions, I think these movies, if I can draw a through line with them, it is certain individuals kind of ruining things for other individuals, whether that be Bryony's 
miscalculation ruining her own life and the lives of her sister and her sister's boyfriend and then you know daniel plainview subjugating the people of little boston and kind of taking their land for way less than what's actually worth and and enriching himself and them not reaping any of the benefits um anton chagur and what he represents again it's more of like an individual problem rather than like a systematic problem and again juno's kind of the odd man out where it doesn't really fit um, and, you know, Michael Clayton, again, I, I guess Michael Clayton could arguably be a systems thing, but it's more like a, uh, you know, there's there's a clear antagonist in Michael Clayton. It's it's the lawyer who would do anything to, you know, save her company money. And, and that includes murdering two people. It is interesting you know? when you think about all five of these films include a decision of some kind by someone that irrevocably alters either their life or someone else's life in a bad way. A ripple effect. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah, it is. And that you can include Jason Bateman in, in I was going to say even, yeah, even that, Juno. Yeah. Well, the fact that, I mean, not saying that pregnancy is a bad thing, but she's a teenager and just by having sex, unprotected sex, she ends up pregnant and having to go through all of this. Um, like it's just, it's not exactly a positive uh, event or a reaction two decisions made mm-hmm. in any of these movies. Obviously the other what, four are more serious. What uh, connections couple, do you see TJ? Yeah. Yeah. So this is really on the surface, but it's worth noting, at least in contrast to 1975's films, three of them are written and directed by the same person slash persons. Mm-hmm. That being Michael Clayton, no country and there will be blood. Uh, the, the latter two, I think, well, the latter three feel like films from the American Renaissance from like the seventies. They're dark and they're strange. And the latter two, No Country and Blood, they're period pieces set in the American West that take really big swings at what I what I sort of decried there being no more an American film, trying to say something big about contemporary and historical America. Um, yeah. I also think that... I was going to say something about... Oh, the uh, money and greed play a big role in many of these films as well um agreed yeah and particularly michael clayton there will be blood no controlled man less so juno yeah as opposed to the 75 films we do have about 40 percent of these movies being centered around women Mm -hmm. namely atonement and juno however again we uh, the kids are all white here um (laughs) it's a pretty pretty white lineup pretty white lineup um so not not very not the most diverse yes it doesn't really have an ear to the ground for racial or ethnic concerns really well i think that so the demographics of the academy became a major talking point in like 2015 2016 with oscar so white and the academy has made taking great strides to try to um update the demographics in the five six seven years since then and i feel like the issues that kind of came to a head in 15 and 16 were like kind of maybe beginning around now with the academy getting very old and very white and very male also, i mean it was always old white and male but it was starting to get really old and white and male here also if we're i mean we're talking about the history of the academy there's only one more year where there's five nominees so then the following yeah. year is the last time we get five and then they expand initially to 10 and then they do that for a few years they did that wonky anywhere between five and or I think it was what is it this year? Is it locked into 10. 10 again? Now it's okay. locked, it's locked in into 10, 10 again. again. Yeah. 
Okay. I was trying to figure that out. I was trying to figure out how the MLB playoffs are going to work. I think I figured out the MLB playoffs this year. <laughs> Is there but... three wildcard teams? Yeah. Yes. What the hell's up with yeah. that? It's it's really weird. Know, but like the third wild, and then there's like the third wildcard team plays the worst division leader. Division winner, yeah. Because yeah. The, it's, best it's weird. the Cardinals, I believe. The best, yeah, yeah, it'll be the Cardinals. Yeah. So the Cardinals yeah. will play like the. Well, just the Dodgers are really good. Well, the Dodgers and, then, and the Mets yeah. are both yeah. way out ahead. Yeah. What the hell? Why are the Mets good? That's not. That's not. That's not right. That's not correct. Um, they they went out and spent money on free agents. They got Max Scherzer. Yeah. Who Who would have thought that that's Pete, even a possibility? Pete Alonso would could Cardinal be an MVP wins. candidate if it wasn't for Paul Goldschmidt. Well, Paul this, Goldschmidt better win MVP. This has been serious baseball, people. <laughs> um, do you think this? Do you think this episode will come out before the World Series and before the MVP is announced? Yeah, this one will drop and they'll be like, these idiots, like Paul Goldschmidt broke He's... his collarbone the next week and didn't play another game, you know? Knock on wood. Um, uh, okay, so let's get to, uh, the next thing I want to talk about, and I think we can answer this by way of talking about other films, but this often pops up on think pieces as 2007 was like the last great year for American film. And then some people say, oh, wait, but what about 2016? Some say 2019, et cetera, et cetera. But this one tends to come up. And I think by way of answering that, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about those five that were nominated, but we've also alluded multiple times to, hey, there were a bunch of other really good movies too. So what are some other movies that either were not nominated for any Oscars or missed out on Best Picture that you guys thought were some bangers? Can, can we just start the discussion here? With the number elephant, one with a bullet, the elephant. In the number room? one with a bullet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Zodiac. National is, Treasure. Two. Absolutely. Oh, Shut up, TJ. <laughs> Zodiac. Adults are talking. Totally absent here. It, it's it, it's it's unreal. Glaring. It's unreal. It, it but in the defense of I guess the Academy is that it came out what in like March of '07. Did something it. stupid it, like that? Yeah, it did. It was. It's one and of those. It's one of those. It's one of those films that may have gotten just totally forgotten by the voters. And I, I remember. I, I don't know when I saw it. I don't think I, saw, I did not see it in theaters. I may have seen it before these Oscars happened. I, I kind of doubt it though. But like, I remember people in our high school talking about it in the hallway and like not knowing what to make of it at all. And I think probably when I saw it when I was like probably eighteen, I don't think I knew what to make of it at all either. But like, you know. Once you get five, ten years away from it, you're like, holy shit, Zodiac's one of the best movies of the decade, let alone of 2007. I, I, rem- I remember renting it in two- late 2007 um, after Mass on a Saturday night where we went to Pizza uh-huh. Hut and then Mr. Video, and I was with my sister. And oh, yeah. I was like, hey, I'm going to watch Zodiac because she was kind of into like creepy stuff like that. And then I said, it's 156 minutes long. And she's like, mm, I don't know about this. We popped it in. One, it is pants-shittingly scary in multiple oh, there's places. Some- um great opening scene yeah and then when it was over we were both like that was two and a half hours what like (laughs) that thing hums it does great endorsement yeah it does and it it does have some of the best scenes of any film released in Mm -hmm. the in that decade Mm -hmm. now that i think about it i wonder if i didn't see the zodiac until after the social network came out i'm not really sure now oh i don't know regardless like I, i think that i mean fincher did not become a god to me until the social network and then I went back and kind of like re-examined Fight Club and Zodiac and and all that. And I'm like, oh, this is one of the best guys the making only, movies right now. But I'm gonna go with what you said. The only def- the only defense here is that they just completely forgot about it. But of course, that's not really a defense. Like, where was the marketing? Where was the publicity? These there should have been screeners well, for this and, movie. And I think I think maybe maybe two things that 
I, I don't think these are critiques, but these are things that make that movie difficult. One, there's no resolution to it's very the, the who done yes. it. Yes. Oh, and yeah. two, oh, it's so not cool. really it's not really a serial killer movie. It's actually a character study about obsession. Obsession. Yep. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Um. And I think both of those things are wonderful in that movie. But I think if you were going to go to the Zodiac movie, you're expecting like Secret Window or something like that. How's that for a pull? Um. And this is not. <laughs> this is not that at all. I no. Um, I just it's it's shocking for me that they they reaped so many nominations and so much praise on No Country and There Will Be Blood and we just discussed in both of those episodes TJ coming out of or not coming out but being in a movie theater when the credits start rolling and having people react like they don't know what they just watched. Okay, Zodiac, you know what you just watched? Yes, it's it's maybe not I guess as cathartic or satisfying because you don't have a resolution, but then again, Okay, there was no, no one who knew the serial killer was at the time. They didn't. I even, think it's as cathartic as it can be. It, well, it, uh, it, making a movie about an unres- unsolved case. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's the fact of the the story. Like you can't get mm-hmm. around it. There's no. So, yeah, I mean, Ken, I'm glad I'm glad this is the first thing we talked about because, like, you know, if they ever <laughs> they would never do this, but like if they ever like started giving out Oscars five years after the fact, this is. I mean, I would put this, I think this is as good as, like, Michael Clayton, easily. It's probably better than Michael Clayton. I'm not sure it's as good as No Country or There Will Be Blood, but it's close I've, I've, if it's not as good. If I'm ranking, not going into detail, but if I'm ranking the top films of 2007, Zodiac is probably my number three. They should, instead of playing the songs at the Oscars, have a segment that's called Oops, We F***ed Up. And then they give five, they like take five Oscars away and give them to somebody else. And you have to show up and like give your Oscar back. I'm looking, I'm looking at the uh, top 100 list that I've alluded to a few times in the series. Uh, you know, the personal top 100 that we each made a couple of years ago. Uh, I put Zodiac, it's in my top, it's number 23 for me. Oh. So I have Zodiac as the 23rd best movie I've ever seen. And it was it received zero Oscar nominations. What a feat of adaptation, by the way. James James Vanderbilt's script. Yeah. I listened to a podcast where he was talking about like his process with that, and it's pretty incredible. Well, I believe I mean I've only done like rudimentary internet research, but I believe he and David Fincher, like in just before they even wrote a word, they investigated for like a year and a half just to make sure they had all the facts straight on everything and then again that's a that's a damn good script and again it's it, for a, a sprawling story that takes place over a couple of decades over all of california and um shifts point of view a few times you know the main character kind of shifts within that movie in, in some tricky ways and that's a that's a damn good script and shot james vanderbilt not nominated for for an oscar this is this is your this is this is your consolation prize, uh, David Fincher. If you're listening, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, serious film people are crowning David Fincher Zodiac, uh, 2007. Yes, yeah. Um, white guys on the internet like David Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay, breaking um, news. Breaking, yeah, uh, Ratatouille. Um, Ratatouille was nominated for. Best original screenplay, one best animated film. A lot of people point to this as one of Pixar's best movies. Some people talk that it should have snuck into Best Picture. Um, I liked it a lot. I don't know that I've seen it since I saw it in the theater. And there were some children in there, bored to tears. The children were bored to tears. <laughs> this is this is definitely one of the more highbrow Pixar movies. 
this is, in fact, they've got a successive. You get Ratatouille and Wall-E, two of their better movies, but probably not not at the top of the most popular list for Pixar. Um, they were highly praised, and I have rewatched both of those actually recently. I went back and rewatched Ratatouille once we started our 2007 um, discussion here, and I, it still holds up. And I am surprised how few people mention it. I don't hear about it often, even people with mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that I, I came to this way late. I didn't see. I saw this for the first time. Uh, <laughs> I was on my honeymoon in Fiji, and it was very hot out. And so just I wanted to I wanted to take a break in the air conditioning. So like there was movies on our TV in our room, and so I watched Ratatouille for the first time <laughs> in 2018. I was just about a decade later. Honeymoon. 2018 yeah and uh man this movie rules and i'm like really bummed that i did not see it before 2018 and i've actually watched it a few times since then like you know sometimes i'll like be doing something around the house i'm just like throwing disney plus just to have something on and like i don't know man i just put on ratatouille a decent amount nowadays like it's kind of like not something for, i'm reaching for more than the, other stuff the category was crowded but i would listen to an argument that peter o'toole should have gotten a supporting actor nomination for this i was just is about- he antonigo yes yeah He's the voice of oh, Anton wow. Ego. I was just about to yeah. say, Anton Ego, for the record, would have been a serious film person. Oh, definitely. He, he is. Yes. Um, um, I don't like now he's film. A restaurant. I love it. <laughs> now he's a restaurant investor because he's not a serious critic anymore. Um, Ratatouille is great. And uh, I kind of, to borrow a phrase from the Blank Check podcast, the premise is kind of sweaty. It's kind of mm. a funky, sweaty premise, but like it still works. And like I buy all of it, even though it's kind of dumb <laughs> and like we mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it blends uh, it, i don't know it it's bl- awesome it blends highbrow with a bit of screwball mm. in the best way the best sense it's like i watched the incredibles so much in high school and part of that's because i like the movie part of it's because i had a little brother who was obsessed with the movie but like I, honestly today I, it's crazy that i'm saying this but like i feel like I, of the pixar brad bird movies i prefer ratatouille over the incredibles which might be a blasphemous take but I don't know, man. Rat 2 is really good. It is. Like it, wow. It's a very good film. And not for nothing, This it wasn't the only good animated film this year. There were only three nominees. Uh, but And, and Ratatouille won, but it beat out Persepolis, which mm. really, really impressed me. I remember seeing this when it came out. I don't know about you guys. I don't even know why I ended up going to see, seek this out in theaters, but I remember sitting in the theater and watching this and really being... Uh, kind of impressed and shocked because it was unlike anything we'd seen up to that point, at least in American okay. theaters. And it's it's definitely worth a watch. And the graphic novels worth reading. I taught it a couple of years at uh, my previous school as summer reading, and the one of the film directors, Marjane Satrapi, is the woman who wrote. It's a it's a autobiographical um, graphic novel, and she's the one who who wrote it. So yeah, definitely worth a look. Um, I'll jump what else? In. Oh, yeah. Real quick, just quick lines on The Savages. Um, I've seen it once. Mm. Thought it was solid. Laura Linney was nominated for Best Actress, and it was nominated for uh, Original Screenplay. Phil Hoffman was great in everything, and he's wonderful in this film. He's got a couple uh, good films that year. Uh, yeah. Performances. yeah he's, he's got a few. He's like three or four. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly was a big movie this year, directed by Julian Schnabel, who was uh, also direct, nominated for Best Director over, presumably, Joe Wright for Atonement. 
Uh, I was impressed by that movie. That movie's hard to connect with. It's pretty much told from the perspective of the writer who's in the car accident. So the camera like blinks as he blinks out his memoir letter by it's, letter. It starts off entirely from his perspective. Yeah. The early part yeah. of the first like third or so of the film is entirely from his perspective. Everything he sees, we see. Mm-hmm. Um, 310 to Yuma is a remake of 310 to Yuma has... Russell Crowe and Christian Bale and a really solid supporting cast. I think it's worth a look. Uh, Ken, talk to us about Charlie Wilson's War. I know you're a big fan of this. Yeah, Charlie Wilson. Phil Hoffman. Charlie, again, yeah, it's another Phil Hoffman. You got Tom Hanks, Julia Oscar Roberts, nominated, right? Amy Adams. Uh, Phil Hoffman, yes. Uh, nominated for his performance as the Greek uh, Gus Avrakakos. Uh, Avrakatos. Uh, he's just kind of just bring he, he brings down all the, the guardrails and just kind of goes all out he's well, this is it's capital it's a phil hoffman for it's phil hoffman reading aaron sorkin's words so that's so it's sorkin's screenplay and mike nichols directing it's a great combination oh, yeah, of nichols. filmmaker and yes. screenwriter here um the film doesn't really add up to all of the parts like you've got again tom hanks julia roberts amy adams philip seymour hoffman it doesn't really work as a great film by any means um but the parts are all there and and hoffman steals every scene he's in he's so, such a dad movie so too shout out to tim keely tim loves yeah my dad Wilson's also War. likes Charlie yeah. Wilson's <laughs> <War>. <laughs> um, uh josh do you want to talk about sweeney todd the demon barber of fleet street uh yeah uh i think i may have mentioned this already earlier in the series but um i was weirdly really really into this movie uh partially because uh our 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 film teacher, Mark Cummings, previously mentioned, uh, was really into it. And so he was he talked it up before it was released. Uh, if I remember right, he was in high school when the Broadway play first came out. And then I was a senior in high school when the movie came out. It's so, like me and Mark Cummings kind of had that mirror thing going on, I guess. Um, I, and, I've noticed uh, you started to look like him as well. D- shut up. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Hey, he was a handsome man. Um, no comment. I'm going to keep just keep talking about Sweeney Todd. Um <laughs> I like the movie a lot. Uh, I got the soundtrack. Um, I listen to the soundtrack a lot. I, you know, this is my first exposure to Stephen Sondheim. And like, it's not like I've become a Sondheim head in the years since then. I probably should have, but I didn't. Um, but then in college, uh, I went to uh, Notre Dame. Where they put on a production of Sweeney Todd for the Notre Dame Opera my senior year. And I was in it. I was in the chorus. I got my throat slit during the Joanna reprise. Uh, I have that on DVD. We should watch that sometime. Three of us. It's good good stuff i would i would happily do so yeah <laughs> i know seriously here's here's the thing i don't i don't have a fun ken would love this. to see your throat slit <laughs> i don't have a fondness for this movie i do have a fondness for the the musical um i've seen it live and i've also seen a recording of one of the original productions with, uh, with angela lansbury angela lansbury len, len Carew. Carew. um yeah. i've seen a production and i loved it i love angela lansbury's fantastic as Do you know who played Toby in the original Broadway cast? Uh, Paul Lieberstein. No. Victor Garber. Ooh, our guy, wow, Victor Garber. There you go. All right. Of Titanic and Legally Blonde fame. That's what I know. Fun about. fact, I have a bow tie that he wore one time in Canada. He had like a guest spot on a show that was filming in Vancouver while I was there. And a friend of mine was a production assistant. And she basically stole some of the costumes and gave me a bow tie that Victor Garber wore one day on set. Hey. Fantastic! Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic. weird. It's a weird poll. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. 
but regards, uh, I mean, I've I've watched this movie recently uh, for a different podcast, and like I still really really enjoy it. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite Tim Burton's. It's I think Johnny Depp. He's nominated for best actor here, and like maybe Josh Brolin should be here instead for No Country. But like I really like the Depp performance. Um, not a huge fan of Helena Bottom Carter in it, but like I like I like Sweeney Todd a whole lot, an awful lot. Oh, shout out to great Ellen. Sasha Baron Cohen. Shout out to Alan Rickman. I do like his performance mm. as the judge. Alan yeah. Rickman. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Into the Wild. I remember liking Into the Wild. It's an adaptation of I the John. I really like Into the Wild. John Krakauer like book directed yeah. by Sean Penn. Uh, Hal Holbrook is heartbreaking in this movie. Yes. The Eddie Vedder soundtrack is a banger. Yes. Um, yes. That's all I have to say about Into the Wild. Away from her, Ken. You've seen Away from Her as well, directed by Sarah Polly, starring Julie, Julie Christie. Everyone thought Julie Christie was going to take home Best Actress. More and on that I, in a minute. I, I I'm still upset about it because I really wish she would have. Um, this was my first introduction to Sarah Polly. Uh, I remember watching this at home by myself one night the following summer. I don't know what what happened, what the situation was, but I found myself watching this film about Julie Christie playing a woman who is. Um, well, she suffered, she's been diagnosed suffering from Alzheimer's, and it follows her getting progressively worse. And also her husband, played by Gordon, uh, Canadian actor Gordon Pinsett, um, and uh, Olympia Dukakis is also in there. But it's it's following the, the lives of these people who were once in, deeply, deeply in love for many decades, uh, kind of trying to deal with Alzheimer's and what it does to their relationships. And it is heartbreaking heartbreaking film so very personally beautifully filmed um, but it's really a showcase for the actors and julie christie knocks it out of the park and i remember it being rather graceful and not feeling manipulative Um, not at all is this a correct way to use this phrase i break hard for sarah polly she's fantastic and if you i love sarah polly anybody and i can't wait for her next film i highly recommend go find both go find both away from her and stories we tell in particular Oh, stories we tell was in my top 100 uh okay eastern promises directed by davy cronenberg uh starring vigo mortensen as a russian gangster not one of my favorite of three collaborations right uh, of four, four. Oh, four. Yeah, Dangerous Methods in there before Crimes of the mm. Future. Um, not one of my favorite of theirs, but I, I do remember uh, sweating and, and clinching the theater seats during that naked steam room fight. It's, it's That's ex- the only thing I know about this movie. That's oh, the only it's thing extremely graphic and hard to... Fight dude naked. It's Is this... I don't know if this is in keeping with what film Twitter or what the... the the discourse at the time would have been i actually like i like vigo mortensen's performance in this movie a lot i mean we got nominated um but i can't remember if there was pushback on that or or if there's been subsequent pushback but i actually like his performance including the accent which he somehow nails for a guy who's not at all russian um he gets the you totally he's taking his time i totally buy into his performance here josh have you seen that one no I haven't, no. I just actually saw um, uh, A History of Violence for the first time mm. a few weeks ago, which Another is the, great... the, the, the first Cronenberg uh, um, Viggo Mortensen collaboration. I really like that a That's lot. That's a great That's wonderful. So yeah. uh, I'll probably check out Eastern Promises at some point, just because History of Violence was excellent. Um there, there's another sort of elephant in the room we need to get to, which is the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yes. May I? Yes, Please. absolutely. 
I already said in probably both the No Country and the There Will Be Blood yep. episodes that it's the best cinematography I've ever seen, and I stand by that. Uh, I think it's among Brad Pitt's best work. Yes. Uh, it's, pro- it's probably either this or Moneyball for me. Um, Casey, the, the I believe the low nomination... No, I'm sorry. The two nominations were Casey Affleck for Best Supporting Actor and Cinematography. Did you get anything else? I don't think so. Was that it? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, our guy Roger Deakins double nominated for this in No Country lost in both, which is which is tough. But you know, as we said last week, uh, hard to argue against Roger Ellswood or Robert Ellswood, but still, um, I just really love this movie as like a exploration of celebrity and of myth and um, hero worship. I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with celebrity, but uh, kind of defining yourself based on fandom which has kind of become a modern relevance uh, in our, in our current media climate. Uh, it's just really interesting and really thought provoking. And I think it's, I think it's the casting of Brad Pitt as Jesse James is really ingenious because Brad Pitt, even in 2007 was a larger than life figure and he's playing a larger than life figure that people are idolizing and making up stories about that, you know, most are either half true or not true at all. Um, well, sure. In 2007, let's remember Brangelina was a very big deal, very big mm-hmm. deal still at the time. So yes, they he literally went out and got himself the biggest star you could find to play. He being games. he being Andrew Dominic, who yes. Um, yes. makes a follow up film with with Brad Pitt called Killing Them Softly, that I think has an F cinema score. It I does. really yes. liked it. It was in my top ten that year. I think it's it's a very aggressive movie, and um, Dominic has the. Marilyn Monroe film Blonde yes. coming out later yes. this year. Which will probably the, be out by the time this episode yeah, drops. I guess, so yeah. You'll know um, if it's good. We don't. <laughs> in the meantime, he made two documentaries with his really good friend and collaborator on this film, Nick Cave, uh, about Nick yes. Cave and Warren Ellis's music. Yes. And they did the score for this. It's a really lovely yes. score. And Nick Cave, first of all, it's a fantastic score. I love the score. In fact, like I think some channel uses music from this movie to like int- i don't know if it's tcm or if it's before like a movie plays when it's like coming up next on tcm this movie and like the the ethereal music from the mm. opening of jesse james plays mm-hmm. over it I I, it's maybe not tcm i don't know i don't think it's tcm but, but i i wouldn't be surprised amc maybe i don't know regardless um also nick cave is a cameo as a like singing guy also uh, a cameo from james carville as the governor of missouri James Carville, yes. Well, real quick, a rundown of the cast. We got Brad Pitt, Jesse James, obviously. Casey Affleck as Robert Ford, uh, the titular Robert Ford. You got Sam Shepard in here as Frank James, RIP. You got uh, Jeremy Renner before The Hurt Locker. You got Sam Rockwell doing Sam Rockwell stuff. You got Paul Schneider. I like Paul Schneider. Um, Garrett Delahunt, yep. we mentioned during, well, during he's No in Country, no country he's yeah. in this. And he's in No Country. Um, I like Zoe Deschanel. Oh, yes, she Zoe, pops up at the end. Ted Ted Levine's in this? Yes. I didn't know Ted, Ted Levine is in this. The big fat person. He's a law he's the law he's a law enforcement <laughs> officer, if I recall. Not surprising. You're under arrest, Jesse James. You're under arrest. Ted Levine always he's can be trusted to play two roles. He almost always invariably plays a murderer or a cop. Mm-hmm. Or yes. law enforcement or something. Um yes. we um, good on Jesse Oh, we good on Jesse James? Uh I really like that movie a lot. An awful lot. Um, it's a really good film. I would have I would have liked to have seen the train robbery scene is that's really the, the centerpiece of the cinematography conversation in terms of like, uh, it's amazing. Oh, and Deacon's it's defense, incredible. the whole film looks fantastic, but yes, the train robbery sequence is some of the all time greatest cinematography. But as we kind of talked about last week with there will be blood, like the, the intersection of 
Deacon cinematography and Nick Cave's music um, really gels really well to really like create this atmosphere and um, just as well as Robert Ellswit and Johnny Greenwood's music and Ellswit's cinematography in their wood blood. Just great movie. Also, Casey Affleck is great in this. He ends up getting an award he later, really but he's wonderful. And if for no other reason, then you got to give him credit for making this line work. That'd be a great joke if it was funny. It's an awesome scene. It's, it's funny. Awesome. Yeah. But also, like, you know, he is playing, like, the put-upon little brother mm-hmm. in this movie. Like, his his older brother, Sam Rockwell, he's, like, the real member of the J- of the James gang. And, he, and Bob is just kind of, like, the tag-along kid. And it, it's, it's the fact that it's Ben Affleck's brother playing this role is, you know, you can't ignore that. And it's really, like, meta text becoming text. And that, that works really well for me. And he's really great in it. Uh, for myself, there's there's really just two more that I really want to hit on, which is uh, Hot Fuzz. I love <laughs> yeah. Hot Fuzz. It's the first R-rated movie that I got into on my own. I Possibly for nostalgia's sake, I still think it might be the funniest movie I've seen. Um, really? I, I, no, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, it's it's hilarious. And I laugh at, like, it has, like, 200 jokes in it and like 190 of them land it's it's wonderful um and then the other one that i am really really high on from this year is i'm not there directed by todd haynes it's a music biopic that deconstructs the music biopic it's about bob dylan in which six different actors play bob dylan including kate blanchett and marcus carl franklin who's a like 12 year old african-american kid um the others are heath ledger christian bale Richard Gere, Ben Wyshaw. And shout out, and, to, shout out for Kate Blanchett gets one of her two Oscar nominations this year for that movie. That's true. Uh, Julianne, Julianne Moore is in it. Uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Bruce Greenwood plays two roles. It's a really, really fantastic film. Yes. My, my one experience with this movie is I tried to watch it after I got my wisdom teeth out and I fell asleep within 10 minutes because okay. I was high on Vicodin. Uh. <laughs> Because of the wisdom teeth, yeah. not for any other reason. For some great films, music, obviously it's all it's all Dylan music, but it's Dylan covers, and it, it's it's just fantastic. It was on my top one hundred. Uh, speaking of music biopics, we got Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story <laughs> in two thousand seven, which, as I said off mic, I don't think I've seen since theaters, but it is it it basically ruined music biopics moving forward because. Because, and as you guys pointed out, again, off mic, that, you know, music biopics themselves kind of ruin music biopics, but it's only because this movie pinpointed exactly the the beats of music biopics so well and so perfectly and so astutely that, like, anything that comes after, you're like, oh, they're just doing the, you know, Dewey Cox has to think about his whole life before he performs thing. Um, You know, Elvis just came out a few months ago and, like... A lot of people were talking about Walk Hard again when Elvis came out. And, like, yeah, it is, like, specifically, I guess, skewering things like Ray and Walk the Line. But, like, I don't know, man. It's really, really funny. Uh, it's one of John C. Riley's best roles, and he's a, a national treasure. Um, one of J- J- Jed Aptel co wrote the script, and we're going to talk about him more in a second, I think, in 2007. Yep. Um, but, man, just, like, a just heavy heavy satire just a staggering satire that's just rippled through a entire genre in the 15 years since walk hard nothing nobody's got anything on walk hard I'm part I, I've, of myself. S- I've seen it I, wall. I, I said earlier i probably need to watch it again i remember it just being like too long too. and not that funny but i know that's I not that's not the take so and it features st louis's own jenna fisher our friend she was our in yeah, she's in a couple of movies like this this and 
and she's in Billions of Glory as well this year. She's in she a is, couple yeah. of these. Is she? Yeah. Okay. Uh, hard comedies. Um, uh, maybe it's because I'm so fed up with the genre itself, but yeah, this movie doesn't do it for me because probably in part because I don't hide the fact that I'm done with music. I'm not done, but I, I'm frustrated to no end by musical biopics. They're never good. Well, uh, at least not in the last I, I, 20 I, years. For the record, I did not see Elvis, but I, I did see clips posted of when he first performs and the girls start screaming. And it's almost exactly yeah. shot for shot, the scene where a girl starts like ripping their shirts off when Dewey Cox sings, take my hand and, and walk hard. So again, it just destroyed a genre. So go for that movie. What else is 2007, Ken? What else you got? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think we can go from here. You mentioned Judd Apatow. He had, yep. He's got knocked up this year. Which, along with the 40-year-old virgin, I think, kind of established the Apatow comedy uh, as a where, subgenre. Where are, Ken, I'm curious where you personally are at on Knocked Up, being a 40-year-old man, a 60-year-old <laughs> man in a 30-year-old man's body. I'm not the biggest... At, at the time when Knocked Up came out, you were a 40-year-old man in a 17-year-old yes. man's body. Yes, I am nearing retirement now. Um, so. <laughs> Ken's like Jack, that movie with Robin Williams <laughs> yes, come to life. Exactly. <laughs> I own up. To so it. where where are you, Ken Dussel? I have never. I, up? I'm not. I've never been the biggest fan of Apatow. I don't dislike him by any means, and I enjoyed both of these these comment both of those comedies I just mentioned. I enjoyed Knocked Up. Um, I saw Knocked Up not that long before seeing Four Weeks. Or, sorry, yeah, four months, three weeks, four two months, days. Four months, three weeks, two days. Um, which is another film that we can mention. Uh, there's a dichotomy between those two, and I I loved Four Months, the Palme d'Or winner for 2007. Um, and Knocked Up just, it kind of, I don't know, I think Four Months may have ruined Knocked Up for me because it just frustrated me. The, the, Ken, that is insane. That's an insane thing to say. It just, I, I saw them close together. I, Ken... You are the only person in the world who, when asked what they think of Knocked Up, their answer is, well, it's no four months. <laughs> that is insane. That's I, an insane thing to say. I, what, what can I say? I like, I like I like my abortion movies to be <laughs> Eastern European and, and dark. You're a Smush-Mortian movie. Um, I don't think I'm surprised either of you to hear that I'm a big big fan of knocked up i really really like knocked up i've seen it a ton and uh i think my love for knocked up made me go like a little harder into funny people like i like funny people an awful lot too which was appetite's movie two years after this um i think knocked up is excellent and i i would say it's one of the best movies of 2007 which might be crazy to say but i i that's how i feel i remember watching that movie and wanting more of um leslie mann and paul rudd and then, well, be careful what you wish for the monkey's paw I was there, just Ken. About to say, then I got <laughs> I got what I wished for, and I regretted it. So, <laughs> um, well, a, 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 yeah. TJ, anything on knocked up? Uh, I've seen it. It's funny. I don't love it. I'm not big on Judd Apatow. I, love um, I really love it. Well, then can I translate? Can I transition into the other one? Yeah, of course. Uh, not. Written or directed by Judd Apatow, but super bad. Produced by Judd Apatow, which came out, I think, two, three months after Knocked Up. Mm-hmm. I cannot begin to tell you how important of a movie Superbad is to me, just on a personal level. It is an extremely important movie to me. And I don't know if this was your guys' experience. I mean, we were, all three of us, this came out August of our senior year. So this came out, like, as our senior year was starting. And it is a movie about high school seniors having one last hurrah 
basically. Um, so it was, at least among you know the people I hung out with, an incredibly, incredibly ubiquitous movie. Everyone and their mother knew this and quoted this. At least, you know, people that I talked to. I don't know if that was the case for you guys. The, the three, three of us weren't really hanging out a ton quite yet. So I don't really know what your guys' experience with Superbad was. But, like, everyone I knew loved and watched Superbad over and over again. And I continue to in the 15 years since. Josh mostly was shoving us in lockers at the time. That's that's completely untrue. <laughs> uh, I, I, th- I think that's probably the reason why I don't particularly have a fond memory of this movie is that it doesn't really represent what high school was like for me at all. Um, and so well, parts, mean, of, parts of it are funny, on, on. but to, I was just kind of like, yeah. To be clear, it's about two like guys lower on the social ladder in high school who tried to get cool for a night by like getting alcohol for a party. Think, so like, yeah, but and it's, not to, it's not like about popular kids. No. Not to sound, I'm not trying to sound uh, or whatever, but like, also, that's not really what I thought was cool either. So I couldn't really relate to where they're like, we want to go do this. And I'm just like, why? You know, I, I was just about to say, I didn't identify with the main characters. I I should also say. I really, really did. I, I really did. I remember there being discussion about this in school. I remember people talking about Superbad. I didn't see Superbad until, oh God, probably seven or eight years after the movie came out. I did not rush out to see it right away. So, like, I'm coming at it from a 20-something-year-old perspective. That's 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 really different. Yes. That's really different. Yes. And I, I can't imagine... I mean, granted, I, Booksmart is an extremely, extremely similar movie to Superbad in premise and, and tone and execution. And I love Booksmart, too, which is a movie I saw in my 30s. Um, or late 20s, I guess. And I love that, too. So, like, and, you know, I, I was about to say I'm not sure how I'd feel about Superbad if I saw it in my 20s. But I saw Booksmart in my 20s, and I, I loved it that, too. But that's partially because I love Superbad so much. But, like... The stuff in Superbad about like the 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 first the, the whole second act is them trying to get to a party, and like I I know that anxiety like I, you know because you know we went to school in a pre- pretty geographically diverse uh, student body so like I lived out in West County and I would be trying to get to this kid's house in Kirkwood and I would like it'd be nine o'clock and like it'd be getting later I'm like how are we gonna get there who's gonna drive us. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Just the the anxiety of trying to get to a party on a Saturday night, I felt in my bones. You lost me at parties. Okay, there you go. And also, like, you know, again, anybody, any authority figures listening to this, uh, turn it off. But, like, you know, attempting to obtain alcohol as a high schooler was also, like, an adventure always. And that is a a key part of this movie. (laughs) I I related hard to a lot of stuff in Superbad. And, um... And, like, what's funny is, like, uh, my little brother is 10 years younger than us, and it's one of his favorite movies. So, like, it, it mm. has translated across generations. Uh, it, it weirdly has, like, a 70s vibe to it. Yes. And, like, the soundtrack and, like, and a little bit in the costuming somewhat. So, like, it kind of has, like, uh, timelessness built in to an extent. Um, yeah, but I, I love it so much. Yeah, this is – I'm actually kind of – I'm pleased for the film that it's got uh, It's got a, an audience among people it's got legs, a decade yeah. later. Yeah. That's actually that's Absolutely. nice for yeah. the movie. I'm happy for the – I'm happy yeah. for Apatow in the film. And uh, Although he didn't direct it, as you mentioned, he produced. But, uh, yeah, that's nice to hear, actually. So what else? Uh, on, in 2007, let's real quick I, run it down. I, um, do, I do want to mention a couple more movies in particular. Um, yeah. One of them because he – he he kind of takes a run after this uh, uh, from the filmmaker side of things, but Ben Affleck has gone, baby, gone. Absolutely. So we've, we mentioned Casey Affleck in, in The Assassination of Jesse James. Um, gone, baby, gone is his brother Ben's first 
uh, first real take. The, yeah, yes. his first direct, his directorial debut. It's an uneven movie, but it's actually really good for a debut. Uh, I remember it's seeing really this yeah. film and being surprised with how uh, adept he is with the camera. I will say I hate when in a movie characters dramatically say the title and this might be the worst <laughs> example of it like the worst it's it's pretty bad oh it's god bad. Yes. like i want to i want to just like walk out of movies when that happens um but can i do can i do a dramatic reading of please. recreation gone baby gone that's how it's said in the it's movie. It, you, it's you did it much better actually josh it's just, it it's up. so bad. Thank it's you. I'm, so I'm very bad. talented. Thank Amy, you. Thank you very much. I'm very but talented. this film, Amy, uh, you've got Amy Ryan in here. She she's eating up the scenes. She's yeah. eating up the scenes. It's a capital A performance, but it works for her character. It works. If you film. like her on The Office, if you like her on The Office, check out Gone Baby Gone because she's uh, diametrically different from her character on The Office. Quick shout out to The Wire. She was on The Wire and yes. Omar uh, from The Wire as well is in Gone Baby Gone. Michael K. Williams, rest in peace. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was a very, very solid debut. You get, of course, uh, The Town a couple years later, and then Argo. But uh, yeah, Gone Baby Gone, a really, really solid debut from Ben Affleck. And uh, I would be remiss not to bring up, uh, because I, I have a soft spot for this trilogy, but The Bourne Ultimatum, the, the last of the Bourne, uh, the first three Bourne films, came out, and I... This is one of those trilogies that I've made the argument repeatedly that they get better with each film. I know some people can disagree with that. The Bourne Ultimatum is nonstop propulsive. It is almost a perfect action movie. Now, that's for the genre. There are some criticisms as a film as, as a whole. It's not a perfect film, but I think as an action film, it's among the best all time. Uh, the, 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 the stunt work, the, the tension, the world building, um, the cuts, the editing. In fact, this one sound... One best editing, yes. Uh, which sound editing or sound mixing? Sound both, isn't both. it? Both. Yeah, both. It won both. Um, and it won best editing. And it won editing. Oh. Um, all of the... Th- all of, yeah, it, it, it played to its strengths, and it does it really, really well. And for his, his to his credit, Matt Damon is actually really good in the role. So, uh, yeah, I have a soft spot for Born Ultimatum. I think it's great. Speaking of third movies in a series spider-man 3 came out this year which is a movie that i think is good but it's not great compared to its two predecessors but it's good it's not as bad as people say it is uh can we just lars and the real girl sorry before we step away from spider-man i do want to make a comment we're talking about 2007 is it interesting that tj you mentioned some people wonder if this is the last great year of american film this is the last year before marvel kicks in that's true. And delivers anything. You had Iron Man the following year and the Hulk, and the Incredible Hulk. This is it. 2007 is the last pre-MCU year. Um, so just And we'll just let that comment sit there yeah. and uh, not divulge any further. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lars and the Real Girl, which I believe, was Ryan Gosling nom- Oscar nominated for this? I believe he was uh, for screenplay, was he not? Or no, he's no. He's, he was not nominated, he was not nominated for actor. But the movie is nominated. He was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Nancy Oliver. Nancy Oliver, Oliver okay. yeah. Um, I remember I saw Lars and the Real Girl shortly after it came out, and I remember liking it, but I don't remember much about it other than the fact that I liked it. So, but it came out. Uh, I Am Legend, the Will Smith movie about zombies. I will say Can it. you say that movie slaps? <laughs> that's that's a hard. We don't hit. know how. That's a hard hit again, I don't know. 
I don't know when this will come out. That might be a really dated reference by the time this comes out. But it will be never, never. Well, it's, 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 al- kind it's of already like, a six month old reference. But it's okay, a it's going to be one of those things like things that don't get old, like Adele Dazim. <laughs> I can watch that clip any time of any day, and I'm I think just that's now. It. I think Adele Dazim is now seven and a half years old. I'm pretty sure, but that that that's evergreen. It ages that like a fine years. wine. Yes, it does. Um, I think I Am Legend is very good. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, that was a cool theater experience. I think if I remember right, I th- if I remember right, people, including myself, went to I Am Legend in theaters because there was a Dark Knight teaser ahead of I Am Legend. I believe and, uh, you're it was correct our, because that can be the only our, explanation why I found myself watching this movie in theaters. I had written this movie off until I saw it. This movie is better than it has any business being. In it's my pretty opinion. good, man. It, I like it. it yeah, I, yeah. Cool. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's. I don't think it's bad. I think it's actually. It's actually a good it's a good movie. It's a good watch. It's enjoyable and entertaining. And put it on the poster. Can do sold. It's not actually bad. It's actually pretty good. A remake of Omega Man starring Charlton Heston. Yes, which I, I don't know that. wouldn't I wouldn't I don't don't uh, bother wasting time searching that one out necessarily maybe. And then Will Smith would go on to make Gemini Man, which is nothing to do with either one. But also not movie. also not worth your time searching out. Um the Speaking of remakes, Funny Games, Michelle Haneke's remake of his own movie, uh, now with Tim Roth and Naomi Watts, uh, comes out in 2007. What a what a tough sit. I love Good this movie, movie, but a really tough sit. I know oh, you, my gosh. I, what, what do you mean, um, of course I do? What are you talking about? This is, you, this is what TJ does a, when you come over to his house, though. He a ties masochist. You up. <laughs> uh, it's such <laughs> a great film. Puts a bag over your head, <laughs> yeah. ties up your son. Oh, my gets gosh. Gets out a shotgun. Rewinds things with his remote, then winks at the camera. Um, I, I, I think I've said this to you before, TJ, and to you, Ken, that I think few filmmakers are as um, antagonistic of the audience as Michelle Haneke is. And Funny Games is maybe like the apotheosis of that. Um, he just really does not like anyone who's watching his movie. Oh, you like movies? Fuck you! <laughs> That's Michelle Haneke. I think this was also in my top 100. I think it was. I've seen them both. Both are really good. Yeah. Um, the, the second, the, this 2007 version is basically a shot for shot yes. remake, just mm-hmm. in English. Yes. Compared well, he's, to the, he's, the first it, one. It's kind of funny you mentioned he hates his audience. He seems to be almost doing this out of spite. Like, you you, you ignorant, small-minded American audiences. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. You couldn't be bothered yeah. to watch it in the original language. Fine. Here you go, you morons. I'm going to rewind the movie within the movie. <laughs> Uh, we also have uh, a movie called Waitress that I really liked. With, with Carrie um, Russell? Which is Carrie Russell, which is now a very successful Broadway show with Sarah yes. Bareilles. But uh, um, Waitress was written and directed by Adrian Shelley, who also plays a, a supporting role in the movie. And Adrian Shelley was tragically murdered. Oh, my gosh. I think a, a year or two after Waitress came out. Holy and cow. And that sucks because, you know, I mean, it sucks for a number of reasons. Actually, you know what? I think she died before the movie came out. I think about Whoa. it. Whoa. Um, now that I'm looking that. at it. That's so I, I guess this this was a posthumous a posthumous release. Yeah. Now I'm looking at Yeah. So Waitress premiered at the 2007 Sundance Film Festival, which would have been a couple of months after she was murdered. Murdered by a home invader, actually, in New Eesh. York. Uh, she, she, she came across. She entered her apartment while someone was in the process of robbing her. Oh my gosh. Lost her life. So R.I.P. Adrian Shelley. You made a really great movie, uh, which is good. Check it out. Kind of a bummer with that backdrop, but it's a good movie. It's uplifting. Also about pregnancy, I believe, Ken. Add it to your four months, three weeks 
two days yes. knocked up Juno triple feature, made a quadruple feature. You know, you took you you took the you took the genre and you took it right where apparently I prefer my my pregnancy movies, which is we we've already said is dark. Um, just I did not see that coming. So yeah, <laughs> uh, what else we got? We have uh, Ocean's Thirteen, which is cool. Uh, got Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, I know a lot of people. Hot out Rod. There asking themselves why wasn't harry potter nominated for an oscar yes because that of, of all of them is the one you'd have wanted i think order of the phoenix is like among the worst of the eight movies <laughs> that's yes i think so <laughs> um before the devil knows you're dead so we have uh i guess mike nichols last movie with charlie wilson's war we have sydney lemay's last movie with uh before the devil knows you're dead another phil hoffman ken anything else what else i, I i'd love to get to the oscars because as you're we're talking about all of these movies Vast majority of them, of course, not at all in play at the Oscars. Yeah, we got to actually speed this up a little bit because I got a I got a deadline. So let's uh, let's go through this quickly, I guess. Uh, so this year's Oscars were hosted by John Stewart. Might have heard of him. Uh, the Nielsen ratings showed 31 million viewers, which was the lowest since the Nielsen ratings began um, keeping tabs on the Oscars. Eat your heart out, 2022 Academy. Yeah. So I. <laughs> I briefly wanted to ponder, uh, why could this be? There was a writer's strike at the time, so I know a lot of people were a little, eh. Yes. Could have something to do with, th- these are some pretty difficult films. Um, but perhaps it was also a start of a trend where the movies that are uh, awarded are not the movies people talk about at the water cooler. No, I think, I, think that's, I think that's probably more on point, considering, as we mentioned earlier, the following year is the last one before they expand, and they expanded. Not they didn't hide the fact they expanded the category to include ten, uh, exactly because of that. Because they were afraid that not enough people were seeing the movies that be, were ended up being nominated. Well, it's because the Dark Knight was nominated. Right, Dark Knight and Wall-E both were not were absent from the Best Picture category the following year after this. Um, but it, this is another example. The audience, the audiences didn't rush out in huge numbers to see these five films. I'll skip my next two bullet points because I mentioned them already. But if you look at the documentary feature names, uh, No End in Sight, Taxi to the Dark Side, Sicko, they're extremely political. Um, I believe Taxi to the Dark Side wins. But there's, there's a sort of disturbing feature that was actually begun by Michael Moore in 2001, where the documentary award often goes to like, what is the most outraged movie, like, issue movie? Um, the, the best documentary of this year, for my money, wasn't even nominated, and it was Werner Herzog's Encounters at the End of the World. Um, so a quick shout-out to old Werner there. But um, I want to see the baby. He wants to see the baby. That's, that's what Werner Herzog wants. Yes. Um, the documentary short winner, Freeheld, gets remade, like, a decade later as a feature. Really? Yeah. What's wait? Was it called Freeheld? Yeah. Second time. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Josh, do you want to rant any more about best score? I built it into the outline. Uh, I feel like I said my piece. The Johnny okay. Greenwood score in The Blue Blood is the best music score I think of the 21st century, and it was not nominated on technicality, and it sucks because it lost the clicky. It lost the clicky clacky atonement score for the typewriter. Those right, goddamn TJ? typewriter! Oh my god. <laughs> clicky clacky. Uh, Three songs from Enchanted get in. None of them <laughs> Enchant win. enough. Um, Falling Slowly wins, which is a really lovely song, and it was a great moment. Which for I, the night. I want to say, I did not mention Once in the movies from 2007. I really, 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 really like Once a lot. That's yeah, it's a great movie. If it you is. haven't seen it, yeah, great, solid, movie. very solid. Um, 
Born Ultimatum picked up three. It was the second big winner of the night after No Country for Old Men. Uh, we mentioned Deacons being nominated twice in the same category and losing. He won't get his until a few years Tough from now. Beat. Uh, the most nominations. Another 10 years. Takes another 10 years after this. Yes. He doesn't win for 10 years. He doesn't win until 2017. 2017 movies, 2018 ceremony. Uh, the most nominations Tough. were eight. Went to No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. And the most wins, just four. That was No Country for Old Men. Um, and they were in six of the same categories, too. They they both yeah. had eight nominees, and six of them were the same categories. Yeah. yeah no. And then Ken, you I, put I'd this love- last... This is the category. No, no offense to makeup artists or hairstylists, but this is kind of that's the category that I feel like the Academy kind of they they treat it like a joke. If you look through the rundown of films, like this is always the category you get some random film that has no business being mentioned in the same sentence as the Oscars. But Norbit is nominated here. I see. I disagree with this in the sense that it's best makeup. It doesn't say best movie that has makeup in it. So I'm not saying, like, that the makeup in Norbit is just, like, awe-inspiring. But at the very least, they're not going, well, Suicide Squad's a shitty movie. We can't reward it. They're going, hey, I liked the makeup in Suicide Squad. <laughs> I agree with you. But then that it just, it just reinforces the fact that this category, it's got some of the worst Oscar nominee name titles. Sure, sure. It just It yeah. just it stands out. Norbit, for God's sakes, is nominated for an Oscar, and Zodiac is not. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Ken, uh, the the theory at the time that I still believe is that Norbit cost Eddie Murphy an Oscar because it came out like a month before the Academy Awards the previous year, for which he was he nominated for Dreamgirls. He was, he was. and he was yeah. exp- he was the and, front runner to win, and then he lost Alan Arkin. Yep. I yes, think for a little right? bit of sunshine. Yep. Because, like, Norbit comes out when Academy Award voting is still happening, and people see Norbit, and they're like, well, we can't give this guy an Oscar, obviously. So, congratulations, Alan Harkin. <laughs> and congratulations to the makeup team behind Norbit. You get a nomination. Um, yeah, that's... What? Uh, shall we rank them? Shall we vote? rank them. Yeah. Uh, I did this last time just kind of spitballing real quick, but obviously No Country for Old Men won, and then I tried to imagine, like, what, based on the things, the other things that won, what might have been their quote-unquote ranking. I imagine for them, Atonement was fifth. Uh, probably There Will Be Blood was second. Um, yeah. wh- wh- I'm sorry, what are you, what are you talking about right now? What I'm just imagining if they actually released... If the Academy ranked... Which they ranked. don't. Okay, um, yeah. Then maybe Juno was third and Michael Clayton was fourth. I, I, yeah, that's a, probably a pretty good guess. I'm just guessing based yeah. on the pedigree of what those films won. So you, um, you think the Academy would have been No Country, There Will Be Blood, Juno, Michael Clayton, Atonement. That's what you think? The, the Academy. The, I, I think so. I, I do think remember so. the conversation at the time was definitely No Country versus There Will Be Blood. The assumption was one of yes. those two was going to win and it, it was... 100%. Yeah. And, and then, I would but like then to, Juno I, picks up screenplay and that's usually a pretty pretty heavy one so juno was not in jason Reitman was, was not in director though was he, he yes he was he was yeah, he was okay, mm-hmm. never mind all right well then uh ken what's your fifth i thought we went josh ken tj bradley do okay, sold fine. Well, fine uh my fifth is atonement obviously and i feel like that's kind of probably gonna be across the board oh you said obviously okay all right yeah ken. so that means it gets one point right one Correct. point uh, right and number five i'm already i'm already ruining the prediction i've got juno at five okay all right um my number five this might shock you no country i'm kidding um my number five is atonement okay so we got two points for atonement one point for juno uh my number four is juno 
So double its point or get up to three points. Ken? My number four <laughs> it's gotta be atonement. Uh-huh. And my number four is Juno. Oh wow. I can't believe okay. so, so Atonement just... has four points. Juno has five points. Yes. Okay. And those are all the points they're gonna get. <laughs> That's all the points they're gonna get. Okay. We did it. We're done. Uh so I think the next three will probably be well. The next number three one, the same for all of us. Number, oh. number three is Michael Clayton. Yes, on the, count of, Clayton, uh, three? on the count of three, say your your number three. Ready? One, two, three. Michael, Michael Clayton. Clayton. Juno. <laughs> yeah, Michael Clayton. All right, nine points for Mikey Clayton. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. So now we got the big question. <laughs> um. So we we all three of us have no country, and there will be blood left, and. Ken, as you alluded, that was like the big conversation in 2007. And I have gone on record, even recently, saying that, uh, you know, I watched both There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men a lot. I've seen them both 10, 15, 20 times. And I've gone on record saying that the movie that I think is better is whichever one I've watched recently. And I'm not just doing a bit. I honestly believe that. Like, every time I finish one of them, I'm like, oh, that's the better one. And then I hold that opinion until I watch the other one. And then I'm like... Ooh, this one might actually be better. Um, go ahead, Ken. I was going to say, my question is, is this the first time you've ever watched these two back-to-back so close together? Uh, Probably not, but I don't know. Maybe. Could be. Um, I'm just going to say my piece, and then we can talk about it after the fact. I'm, for my number two, I'm going to go with No Country for Old Men as my number two. Okay. And then your number one. Ken? For number yeah. two, I have No Country for Old Men as well. For number two, uh, No Country for Old Men. <laughs> All right, so... Sweep it across the board, then. There will be blood, number one. That's interesting. So, Ken, I'm not surprised to hear you say that, because as we have alluded in previous episodes, uh, the three of us were in a were really cool in high school. We had a little film club where on Friday afternoons we would watch a movie in a classroom in high school, because, again, we were just the coolest kids in the world. Um, and I remember we watched There Will Be Blood, and you actually won the oscar prediction contest that year and as your prize you got a dvd of your choosing of the nominated movies and after we finished he chose norbit (laughs) no no you chose there will be blood and i can't remember if it was we we i can't remember we either just finished watching no country or we just finished watching there will be blood but we finished watching one of them and the first thing you said was i think there will be blood is better and i think i want that one you probably don't remember this happening, I, but I, I, I don't remember that distinct. I, I that is one hundred. Your memory is impressive. It's a while ago. Sounds, he was he was forty five. It sounds like me. <laughs> yes, my memory is a little off lately. Now that I'm talking through it, I'm pretty sure we we watched No Country for Old Men, and as soon as it was over, you turned to TJ and said, "I think I want There Will Be Blood. I think I like There Will Be Blood better." Hmm. So, I believe your opinion when we were eighteen was There Will Be Blood is better than No Country. I, my opinion and at the you time still feel that way. Yes, my opinion at the time, you are one hundred percent correct. My opinion has not changed. Um, I still love both movies, but yeah, There Will Be Blood has always been uh, number one here for me. This might be a stupid thing to say, but I think No Country for Old Men might be a more perfect movie, but I think that There Will Be Blood has higher highs, um, and the ways in which it's imperfect are what make it interesting. Um, I think that's a really good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. But uh, both things you said, both about no country being maybe more perfect, but uh, there will blood having higher highs. I completely agree. Okay. No, no, that was kind of it. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, 
steal some valor, but I want to read uh, something that Sean Fantasy said on a Ringer podcast recently about There Will Be Blood, which I believe I referenced in our, in our There Will Be Blood episode, but uh, I'm just going to quote him directly. And this is like something he said across like an hour and a half podcast. So I had to listen in like cold, different quotes from him. But this is Sean Fantasy. Um, this is to me the 21st century movie so far because it's the only movie trying to say something about our country and how we got here. There's a movie like every 20 or 30 years in America – uh, Eric von Stronheim's Greed made in the 20s, Citizen Kane in the 40s, Chinatown in the 70s. They're all about the same thing, about obsessed, crazy people in pursuit of power. They'll do anything. They'll kill, they'll rob, they'll do anything to get to the top of their industry. And Fennessy pointed out that Citizen Kane took like several decades to be- become like the consensus greatest American movie ever made. Like it kind of came and went in the 40s and it wasn't until like the 60s and 70s it was, it, that people realized- Starting in the 50s because the French really embraced yeah. it. Yeah. And so even though- there will be blood lost best picture in 2007 fantasy was kind of defending that like in the 15 years since that like much like Kane wasn't crowned the great American achievement of the 20, 20th century until a few decades later, that's kind of maybe becoming the case of there will be blood. And he said that, uh, you know, when we get to 2050 and people think of like, what's the, what were the 21st century movies about? Um, he said that people point to there will be blood as Stronheim's greed. You know, Eric von Stronheim's greed. And he also said that, well, I think No Country for Old Men is great and would be worthy best picture winner in 87 out of 90 years. Uh, there Will Be Blood is, is better, was Sean Fantasy's take. And I I don't want to be swayed too much by the last opinion that I heard, but uh, I'm pretty – that's a pretty convincing take for me. Um, I There's 100 – 100% I'm of the opinion in – like in any given year, I'm totally satisfied with No Country being the best picture winner here. That's really exciting that the – recognizing a great film as being the quote-unquote best film of the year um but yeah it's just the fact that you've got both of these movies being released so close together in the same year you can't go wrong with both of these movies they're 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 just peak cinema yeah 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 and and again i agree there's like i can't really find many flaws in no country uh i think it's a pretty perfect movie honestly but like if you want to get really really nitpicky and talk about which one you prefer I think the ideas, the questions posed and the ideas explored by There Will Be Blood are a little bit more interesting, if not more cohesive, than No Country for Old Men. I mean, No Country for Old Men kind of has, like, vague is the wrong word, but, like, there's a there's more of a specificity to the thematic stuff in There Will Be Blood that I find more interesting and more fun to engage with than, than No Countries. What do you think, TJ? Is that um, off base? No, I don't think that's off base. Um... It ultimately it feels more unique to me, but this is another case of even though I probably would have voted for There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men is better than most films yes. that win Best Picture, yes. let alone be yes. are nominated for Best Picture. So this is a year that like if I went back and counted like the years in which I thought they quote unquote got it wrong, I wouldn't necessarily count this year because right. I'm legitimately satisfied with this as a choice. Let's let's yeah, let's take a moment and embrace the fact that in this year the academy really their choice was either There Will Be Blood or No Country, and in any other year neither of these films is going to win, much less be in the, the the final two. Well, first of all, I just want to give one last distinction, even though we're kind of saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, no Country for Old Men. As soon as you see it, you're like, "Holy shit!" That's like, that's an all timer. That's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's incredibly entertaining. It's incredibly thought provoking. But like, There Will Be Blood is just like, as soon as you see it, that's like, you're like, this belongs in a museum, and like, it's it's like a working on a slightly different level. 
and like that's no shot no control man it's just like i don't know man it's 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 staggering and i kind of agree with fantasy that like in in 50 years like we're gonna look back at this time period and just point to no control and be like that's that's the movie right there that's it right there. you mean there will be that's blood. the chinatown i'm sorry yeah that's there will be blood. that's the chinatown that's the citizen kane that's that's everything um do you think if they were to redo these oscars that director and picture might split between these two that's become more in fashion in the last five ten years with the uh, with the preferential ballot ah that's an interesting question if if these five movies had preferential ballots, would we get the same result? I don't know. Ooh, interesting. I, Juno might win. <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. What the thing that tends to win you might among, be right honestly. among preferential ballot is the movie that is more universally like like slash tolerated. Right. right. And I can imagine people loathing There Will Be Blood or No Country for Old Men. And I think Juno was more like I was the only one that really hated Juno in two thousand seven. That's you know. which is how you get. That's how you get Coda. That's how you get. That's how you book. Get, yes. Yeah. 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 That's how you get Shape of Water. Honestly, right. Uh, preferential balloting might not be the best way to choose best picture, but uh, that's what they're currently doing. So, for the director, as far as the director category goes, I mean, this was we're talking two thousand seven. It was kind of like this is the this is the Coen Brothers year. Like the Coen Brothers have been working at this point yeah. for a quarter of a century. Yeah. It's it's interesting to think about. So I just um, I, I'm really fascinated by makeup Oscars and how they have a ripple effect. Like Norbit, you, know, you talk about well, like Norbit, but like you know, talk about how Pacino lost Best Actor for Godfather Part Two to Art Carney, so he had to win in 1993 for Scent of a Woman. But that means you were denying Denzel his Best Actor, so that means he had to wait nine more years to win for Training Day, which probably should have been Russell Crowe's, etc. It's a domino effect, and so you look at. Fargo losing Best Picture to the English Patient, and the Coens losing Best Director for Fargo to Anthony Minghella, uh, largely due to Harvey Weinstein's Oscar campaigning, but it's a different conversation. And so then, like, you know, 11 years later, they're crowned because they were kind of due, even though all things being equal, I would, I would prefer to have PTA win director and there will be blood win picture probably but now like any any paul thomas anderson as of this recording still has not won an oscar and he will someday he'll probably win several someday but like it's it's going to be a bank of oscar no matter what it is i think we, as we discussed unless he somehow tops this as we discussed in the last well that's the problem as we discussed in the last episode yeah. and as we're talking about right now if this is one of the all-timers it's highly unlikely he's able to top himself here it just doesn't feel right that he he didn't win anything for this movie. That just doesn't it just doesn't sit right with me. You know, I don't know. It's hard to complain because No Control Man is also like you know one of the best movies I've ever seen. So it's hard to really split hairs here. But that's what the that's the point of this episode. So, uh, have we decided what we're doing? What year we're doing next? Ken, what year should what year should we do? Is it is it Ken's turn to pick? It, it will be Ken's turn to pick. Let's not put him on the spot though. We'll discuss this over the text and. Uh... We will announce that we'll put a Chiron at the bottom of CNN and Fox News, so we should ultimately reach large parts of the United States. That sounds like an excellent idea. I'll try and time it for when uh, Biden is next supposed to speak in front of the press. Maximum eyeballs. Well, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our next series. Thank you for listening to 2007. Yes. Subscribe, etc. And check out uh, some of the movies we mentioned. Again, there were even more that we didn't recap because this episode has run long. But go ahead and check those out. Please, please, And we'll see you in the next series. Adios. See ya.